You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, we are in the season of Advent right now, season of of longing, of, of yearning for the coming of Christ. And every year, for about a month before Christmas, it is the pattern of the church around the world to stop and to remember that we are longing for Christ to come. Of course, this all, this all culminates for us on Christmas Day with the reminder that, that he has already come, that Christ has come. And because of that truth, because he's kept his promise in the past, he will keep his promise again. And so we can trust that he will do it. But you know, we're not very good at waiting, right? We put up our Christmas tree before we finish the Thanksgiving leftovers. Instead of spending Advent waiting, we buy calendars that give us little gifts every day so we don't have to wait. Okay, growing up in the vineyard household, being able to wait was crucial, especially on Christmas morning. Because while in a lot of households, Right? As soon as the children wake up, they run into the living room. They run into, they start tearing into the presents, right? And we've all seen those movies where mom and dad come stumbling into the living room. The kids are already half done with all of, not so in my household. The tradition there was one of waiting. My parents made us wait for them before we could even go into the living room where the tree was, where the presents were. So in the house that I grew up in, all the kids' bedrooms were upstairs. Mom and dad's bedroom was downstairs. And we'd wake up on Christmas morning. Didn't matter what time it was. You'd wake up. You'd wake up all your siblings. You'd say, let's go. It's Christmas morning. And then we would creep down the stairs. And then somebody would get elected to go wake mom up. Never dad. And we would go in. We would wake up mom, and she would say, okay, okay, go wait on the stairs. And there we would all sit while they got ready for the day. They would go to the bathroom, they would get dressed, they would brew their coffee, they would get ready for the day. And finally, they would come in and they would say, okay, you can go now. What an excruciating experience. Oh my God, I mean, it was probably five minutes, but it felt like forever. As we waited, the excitement grew, the desperation grew, the anticipation grew, right? Any creak in the floor made you think, oh, maybe they're coming back to to let us go get our gifts. But that's such a small thing compared to the situation we find the Jews in as we begin our text this morning in John chapter 1. They've been waiting for 400 years, for the promised one to come. They've received this prophecy from the prophet Malachi that tells them, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And then all of those people who heard that prophecy, they all died. And then all of their children died. And then all of their grandchildren died. And all of their great-grandchildren died. And on down the road it went. 400 years without the promise being fulfilled. But not only that, but God had been relatively silent 
for those 400 years. Not even really a prophet to come and to reassure them. So desperation had begun to to creep into their lives. Anticipation had come. It began to grow. They began to respond to every creak in the floor of all of Israel. And that moment of desperation is where our text picks up this morning. The people are desperate to hear something from God. And then word begins to spread about this guy named John. And and John is, frankly, a weirdo. But he's doing some remarkable things. From our text uh, today, we're going to see that John, who we know better perhaps as John the Baptist, he's a self-proclaimed nobody. But he's a nobody that everybody is listening to. Because he's a nobody that's telling everybody that somebody is coming to save them. And so we want to look at this text from John chapter 1. Um, we're John chapter 1, 19 to 28. If you have your, your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn there. If you picked up one of these on your way in, you'll find it on page 982. And if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please take one of those with you. It's our gift to you. Okay, let me read for us. John chapter 1, 19 to 28, it says this. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet... John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, our text begins this morning. It says, this is the testimony of John. So it would do us well to begin by thinking, who is John? Who is John? If this is his testimony, we need to know how much credence do we give to this John guy? So just to be clear from the beginning, this John is a different John than the John who wrote the book of John. So we're in the book of John, but he's telling us about a different John. We call him John the Baptist. The John who wrote this would be John the Apostle. Um, He's one of the followers of Jesus. He wrote this account and he's telling us about John the Baptist. Okay, who is he? Well, for starters, He's an eccentric sort of fella. We know from other places in scripture that he wore camel skin clothing. He lived off a diet of locusts and wild honey, right? He was weird, a weird guy. But he's preaching like crazy. And people from all over Israel are coming out to to see him, to hear him, to be baptized by him in the the Jordan River. In fact, right, so many people are coming that the Pharisees, the, the leaders of the day, are starting to get worried about him. Who is this guy that's causing such a fuss in all of Israel? So they so they got so worried that they're gonna send people out 
to do a little checkup, to check in on him. So they send this group of people and it tells us that the group is made up of priests and Levites. That is to say, they're not just sending like a messenger out. These are actual people from their midst. They're sending, their religious leaders are going um, out to check up on him. Not just hired hands, the priests themselves. And they've been sent out to figure out who John was, or at least who John thought he was. That's where our text picks up, right? They show up, they begin questioning John, who are you? The same question that we might have this morning. Who is he? He's causing a stir. He's either something special or, or he thinks he's something special. We better figure out who he is. They simply ask, who are you? And he answers them by basically saying, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. You see, the Jews of, of the day are looking for three people. They're looking for the Messiah, the, the coming one, the Christ, the promised one of God, promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden, promised to Abraham and his descendants, promised to David and his descendants, repeatedly promised and prophesied throughout the prophets. They're looking for the Messiah, right? But they're also looking for Elijah, right? The prophet Elijah. We just read about that in Malachi. Malachi says, hey, I'm gonna send Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So part of them is also thinking like, maybe it's not the Messiah, but it could be Elijah. And that means the Messiah's right behind, right? And they're also looking for this guy called the prophet, the prophet. Now that's, that's a reference all the way back to Moses because Moses told them in Deuteronomy, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet who's like me from among you. It's him you should listen to. So they're looking for this prophet as well. Now we're going to spend our time thinking about all of who these people are and everything the Bible says about all of those people. If you want to have that conversation, let me know. We'll have that conversation. But we're not going to spend our place there today. Here's what I want you to know. The Jews are desperately looking for these people. And so when John shows up, when somebody shows up and starts causing a fuss among the people, they assume he must be one of them. But John the Baptist says, I'm not any of them. You see that verse 20 and 21? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They say, who are you? John knew what they were asking. I mean, has anybody ever asked you, who are you? And you responded by saying, well, I'm not the Messiah. Like it's a weird response to that question, right? But John knows what they're asking. So John says, I'm not the Christ. John's point here is to make himself nothing, right? He emphasizes it even more. I'm not the one you're looking for. The conversation continues. They ask, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He says, no. John says, in essence, I'm I'm nobody. I'm certainly not anybody you're looking for. A little bit later in our text, he's going to compare himself to Jesus and make himself out to be even more of a nobody. He says in verse 27, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Right? The job of untying sandals would be a job given to the lowest servant in the household. And, and even sometimes you wouldn't even give it to the servant. You wouldn't give it to anybody. John says, I'm such a nobody that I'm not even worthy to untie 
the sandals of the one who's coming. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest job possible in the house of the one who's coming. John is a self-proclaimed nobody. But, but even though he might make himself out to be a nobody, the Pharisees are like, well, but you're somebody because everybody is in an uproar about you. And so they ask him again, okay, well, who are you? And that's what we see in verse 23. He says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John says, I'm the person telling you to get ready because the Lord, the one you are looking for is he's coming. John says, I'm a nobody, but I know somebody that God is using to, to, to save the world. He says, the only thing that I am is the person here being used by God to tell you that he's coming. He's coming. And so maybe we should just pause here for just a moment and reflect on the fact that God is using a self-proclaimed nobody, an obvious weirdo, to prepare the way for the Lord. John is a nobody who's telling everybody that there's somebody who could forgive their sins. And maybe we should think about the way we view ourselves sometimes. The way we think about ourselves, the way other people view us as well. I don't, I don't know how you think about yourself, but here's what I do know. God uses all sorts of people for his kingdom work. God uses all sorts of people. John was weird. Listen, don't be confused into thinking that camel's hair and locusts was just the norm back then. He was weird then too, just like he's a strange person, but God uses him in powerful way. But here's why. Here's why. Because when John thought of himself as a nobody, he meant it in comparison to Jesus. He says, when I look at Jesus, I'm nothing. When I look at Jesus, I'm not even good enough to be a lowly servant in the household of Jesus. But God uses him in powerful ways because John gave himself, humbly gave himself to be used. This is what humility looks like. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. And some people have said it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. But it's not that either. Humility is thinking about yourself rightly. Humility is thinking about yourself in comparison to Jesus. It's, it's doing what Romans 12 tells us to do, to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Think of yourself with sober judgment, not compare yourself to anybody but Jesus. And, and when you do that, when John looked at himself with sober judgment and compared himself to Jesus, he said, I'm nothing. But then he was able to say, but, but I'm being used. I'm being empowered by God to bring about his kingdom purposes. And so I don't know what you think about yourself, but I can tell you two things that I do know. One, compared to Jesus, you're nothing. But empowered by Jesus, you can bring about his kingdom purposes. Empowered by God, you are very much somebody. So who is John? Well, he's, he's a nobody who's used by God in powerful ways. 
He's a nobody who's telling everybody that somebody is coming who can forgive their sins. He's being used by God to make straight the way for Jesus. So perhaps a second question we might ask is this, well, who is Jesus? Well, John actually has a lot to say about Jesus, right? He's, he's a nobody, but he's telling everybody about Jesus. And that's the very reason that John came. In the, in the passage we read last week, we're told this multiple times. Why did John come? To make much of Jesus. So just listen to this, John 1, uh, 6 to 8. It's talking about Jesus. The whole passage is about Jesus. And in the middle of it, we get this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That's Jesus. So he came to bear witness about Jesus that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, right? He's not the Messiah, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then look just further down, verse 15 of chapter one. John bore witness about him, about Jesus. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said that he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John's whole deal, his whole calling, his whole job, his whole life, is about telling everybody about Jesus, making much of Jesus. He's a nobody, but he's telling everybody about Jesus, the somebody who could forgive their sins. So what does John say about Jesus? Who does he say he is? Well, let's start with this prophecy that we've already read. It's, it's right there. It's from Isaiah, right? John references it in verse 23. He says he's making straight the way for the Lord but we miss something that they all would have caught. We miss something when we just read it in the New Testament that, we, that they would have known because they knew the Old Testament. So if we go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse three, here's the prophecy. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so we know that John is saying, I'm preparing the way for Jesus, right? That's what he's doing. And so then we compare these verses together. Here's what it says. John is saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, but he isn't just saying like some sort of arbitrary Lord, some master. Jesus isn't just our master. Look at what it actually says. If, if you look at the word Lord in Isaiah, it's in all capital letters, and that, that's important. That's a, that's a way that the translators of Scripture are trying to tell you something important. There are a lot of different words that we might translate as Lord. But in this one, prepare the way of the Lord's all caps. That's because the translators want you to know that they are translating the Hebrew word, the Hebrew name, Yahweh. That's God's name. Every time you see that in scripture, if you see the all caps Lord in scripture, that's the name Yahweh. That's God's personal name, his covenant name with Israel. And so when John says that he's preparing the way for the Lord, what he and all the priests and all the Levites and all the Pharisees would have known is that he was saying, I'm preparing the way for Yahweh himself. In other words, John is letting us know that Jesus is God. Who is Jesus? He's God. Right, so here in this passage, we have this nobody preparing the way for a very significant somebody. He's preparing the way for God himself. 
He's going to go to tell us even more about who Jesus is. He begins by saying Jesus is God, but if we look ahead to what we'll talk about next week, all the way to verse 34, he tells that he is the Son of God. So he's both God and the Son of God. He's both God and with God. It's the same thing we saw last week in John 1, 1, that Jesus, the Word, was both God and was with God. Right, so John says here, hey, I, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a nobody, but I'm out here talking about somebody who is very important. And what I'm telling you is that you better get ready. You better get ready. I'm not trying to get a whole bunch of followers for myself. That's not why I'm here. So yes, you're right, Pharisees. When you look around, a whole bunch of people are coming out to see me, but I'm not trying to get a big following myself. I'm trying to make straight the pathway for the Lord. I'm trying to bring people to Jesus. John is a, a nobody and he isn't trying to make himself into somebody. He's trying to make much of Jesus. In fact, in just a couple of chapters, we're going to encounter him again. And once again, he's going to make all of this very clear. It's all about Jesus. Let me just read you this from John 3 really quick. It's verses 28 to 30. It's John the Baptist. He's talking to his disciples. So his followers have come to him because they're worried that Jesus's influence is getting too big. And here's how John replies. He says, you yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. He says, I already told you, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. He is. And if his influence is growing, I couldn't be happier. That's exactly what I wanted to have happen. I just want to slip into the background and let him step into the spotlight because it is all about Jesus. Let me just tell you, if you want to spot a false teacher, it's real simple. At the end of the day, false teachers use Jesus to make much of themselves. They use Jesus to become powerful and rich and famous. And they talk about Jesus, but they make much of themselves. John says, this story isn't about me. This story is all about Jesus. I'm just a nobody. And I will give my life telling anybody and everybody that I can that God is coming, the Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming, and his name is Jesus. The work of John was to tell people that they better get ready because God's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare for the coming of the Lord. That's the same call that's on us. That's the same call that's on each one of us today. It's the call that I, that I want to make to you today. Listen, prepare for the coming of the Lord. Jesus came. 
but he is coming again. And you know, around Christmas time, with all the, the fun and the, and the frenzy of the season, we can sometimes forget that the baby Jesus grew up. And not only that, but he grew up to do some amazing things, some things that only God could do, but then he died. Right? The, the baby in the manger became the man on the cross. And it, it is amazing to consider that the God of the universe stepped down from glory to come and to, to walk among us. He stepped down from glory to be, to be born in, in a manger, right? That's incredible for us to think about, but there is nothing more magnificent to remember than those words from Philippians 2, which tells us that being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't just come, but he died in our place, taking our sins upon himself. He laid down his life that we might find true life in him. And then three days later, he picked it right back up again, and he rose from the dead, claiming victory over death and sin. And to this day, he gives that victory to any who would repent and believe in him. So how do you prepare for the coming of the Lord? We repent and believe. We call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is who, who John says he is, then everything changes, right? If John is telling the truth, then everything in the life of those listening to John and everything in, in John's own life and everything in your life can change, right? Think about this. John says that he was lower than the lowest servants, not even worthy to untie the sandal of Jesus. And that's certainly true of all of us as well. We are just as lowly, just as worthless as John is. And yet, here's the work of Christ. He makes us his brother and his friend. The work of Christ, Jesus tells his followers, he says, you're not my servants. I don't call you servants. I call you friend. He, he, says, he says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. If you're in Christ, you have been set free. You're now the friend, the brother of Jesus himself. And, and if you found that glorious salvation for, for yourself, might I encourage you, be like John. Make much of Jesus. As we celebrate this, this Advent season, we remember that Christ has come and we long for him to come again. But right now we live in, in the middle. We don't just long for it, we get ready for it. We tell everybody that there is somebody who can forgive their sins. There's somebody who can get them ready for the kingdom of God. His name is Jesus. Let's make much of Jesus. Let's pray. God, when we think about ourselves in light of who you are, frankly, it's, it's a devastating reality to realize just how sinful, how really worthless we are. And then you speak over us, that you value us, that we're worth something, 
to you, that you love us, that you long that we might be your children. And you speak that over us and you don't just speak it, but you, but you do it. You've done it in Christ. And so Lord, we, we just want to praise you for who you are and what you've done. And we ask, Lord, that we would, would make much of Jesus. Lord, we pray for those who we know, those who we love, perhaps even ourselves, who don't know you and aren't walking with you. We pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that they might realize this glorious hope that you offer. In Christ's name we pray, amen.